Welcome to Beyond Protocols. My name is McKay Rippey. And before it slips your mind, I want you to head on over to joinbeyondprotocols.org. That's joinbeyondprotocols with an S.org. There you can sign up for our Zoom introduction. During that intro, we're going to be introducing you to the four labs to create bio individual treatment plans. And then if you want to stick around, we'll show you how you can get help from us implementing that into your practice using the Beyond Protocols process. This is part five of our deep dive into mycotoxin detox pathways. This session we're covering acetylation and our expert, our genomic nutrition expert, Emily Gibbler, is going to be taking you on this deep dive. Enjoy. All right. So today I thought we would continue our mold detox conversation. Um, and this week I wanted to focus on acetylation. So we've covered quite a bit of ground already with glutathione conjugation, with sulfation. Um, so continuing in that same vein, let me just bring my slides up for you all. All right. So we're, as, as we have been the past few weeks, we're still focused on that interpretation of results. So again, thinking about the context of mycotoxins specifically, but acetylation uh, in terms of detoxification of the body, body more broadly. So acetylation catalyzes the transfer of acetyl groups from acetyl-CoA to the substrate. So for all of these reactions, we need adequate acetyl-CoA. So just like for sulfation, we need adequate sulfate, sulfur groups. For adequate glutathione conjugation, we need um, sufficient glutathione and glutathione as transferases. Um, oh, and for sulfation, we need those PAPs as the co-substrate. Acetyl-CoA is going to be the co-substrate for uh, all of these, the reactions that we're talking about today. So the, this pathway eliminates a lot of different toxins, uh, various aromatic amines. So we want to think about this in terms of things like histamine as well. Um, certain pharmaceutical drugs, um, certain recreational drugs are also acetylated. Cigarette smoke is largely acetylated. Um, various mycotoxins, which we'll discuss, and specific carcinogens. And when we think about acetylation and the genetics and the polymorphisms associated with it, we do want to keep in mind that we will see several different types of acetylators. There's a fast type, a slow type, and an intermediate type. Um, so in terms of the carcinogens that are acetylated, we have uh, two toxins from cigarette smoke, benzidine, um, and we have our heterocyclic amines from the browning and charring of foods. So this is uh, something that we can cross-reference on the Great Plains uh, GPL tox screen. So on the tox screen, if you see elevated levels of acrylamide, um, which again comes primarily from the browning of, of 
meats, but also carbohydrates like potatoes, uh, vegetables like asparagus, then there may be um, some impaired acetylation coming into play. Medications that are acetylated, uh, worth noting that Dapsone is acetylated. If you have someone who's being prescribed Dapsone, say for, for Lyme, you do wanna make sure that they have adequate um, acetylation support. So we're looking at normal and acetyl-L transferase function, and we'll talk about those SNPs in a moment, as well as adequate uh, co-substrates, adequate acetyl-CoA. And other targets, other things that need to be acetylated in the body, serotonin, histamine, uh, tryptamine, choline, and in terms of the SNPs that we are looking at, so the most obvious and the, and the, the most basic would be the N-acetyltransferases or the NAT SNPs, but these are not all, all of the variants do not imply the same thing. And they are not all expressed in the same places. So um, with the n transferases, this is also one of the primary enzymes in human breast tissue that neutralizes PAHs from cigarette smoke, air pollution, as well as, again, that well-done meat. So we do see very strong associations between certain n transferase polymorphisms and breast cancer risk, particularly among cigarette smokers. But this is additionally going to be expressed in the liver and the intestines, certain polymorphisms are, or I'm sorry, certain N-acetyl-L transferases are also expressed in the kidneys. So these are very commonly polymorphic, particularly among people of European descent, much less polymorphic in Asian and Japanese uh, populations. So we'll see anywhere from 50 to 60% of Caucasians uh, polymorphic here versus only about 10% uh, amongst Japanese populations. So I mentioned that there are several different uh, acetylation classes or, or acetylation types. So we have our generally rapid type, and this is associated with increased cancer risk. Um, and normally when we're talking about rapid acetylation, we are looking at NAT1 variants, and after we get through the slides, I'll flip over to the, to the functional genomic nutrition software, and we will take a look at these. So there are some specific NET1 variants that are gain of function. They are not all listed within the functional genomic software. Um, so the NET110 carries a, a roughly 30% increased risk of breast cancer. The NET111 when variegated, carries a fourfold elevated risk of breast cancer, and that goes up with other risk factors. So if we're eating red meat, those individuals, that risk goes up to 6.1, and if they are smokers, it goes up to 13.2. And to some degree, this is a supply and demand. Remember, you need that acetyl-CoA um, as the co-substrate for this enzyme. So the more things that you are exposed to that need to be acetylated, the more you are using up that substrate. And so this is why for all of these pathways, it's important not only to know which mycotoxins 
are cleared through that pathway. But what else is being cleared? None of us live in a bubble. It's not like we have a single client in front of us who is only dealing with just that one toxin. We live in a toxic soup of a planet and our bodies are dealing with a lot of different things. So where we really get into trouble is when we have someone who is genetically vulnerable, who is exposed to environmental toxins that need to be cleared through that vulnerable pathway. And so if you have someone who is a rapid acetylator with a lot of NAT1 variants and they smoke and they eat red meat, they are at much, much, much greater risk of adverse events than someone who doesn't have even one of uh, those risk factors. Then we have our generally slow acetylation type, and this population is at increased risk for autoimmune conditions, um, in particular uh, lupus. So in terms of which SNPs create that generally slow acetylation, we're looking primarily at the NET2, and there are two SNPs that are the most common. So there are several that are clinically validated. We will see all of those in the software. But in terms of the two that we will see most frequently, uh, the NAT2191A, that one is not in the functional genomic software. The NAT2481T is, so that one's in bold for you. So these uh, two risks do create a significantly lowered risk for colorectal cancer. However, if there is, uh, in smokers, there is an increased risk of bladder cancer, and that risk is really dose-dependent. So the more cigarette smoking there is, the greater that bladder cancer risk is. It's almost a one-to-one. -one. So while we would say that, generally speaking, the, the rapid acetylators have an increased cancer risk, it doesn't go away with the slow acetylation type. It just kind of changes where that may present. So we're looking at more breast cancer in fast acetylators, more bladder cancer in slow acetylators who are smokers. And then we do see a very strong association with SLE and slow acetylation. Uh, some other interesting acetylation SNPs that will influence uh, our capacity to detox, as well as other uh, potential health concerns. NAT8. So this one uh, is expressed in the liver and the kidneys. So it is one of our only N-acetylol transferases that we'll see in uh, the kidneys. The others we see expressed elsewhere. Variants here are very closely associated with chronic kidney disease. And here, I thought this was really interesting. We are looking at the acetylation of things that have initially been conjugated with glutathione. And so this really drives home an important point to remember. We talk about these phase one, phase two, phase 2.5, phase three, like all of these things are linear, but some compounds have this multi-step process to be cleared from the body. So the other week we spoke pretty extensively about glutathione conjugation as a route for excretion of uh, 
aflatoxin and ochratoxin, but acetylation is really critical for a lot of those glutathione uh, trans, uh, conjugates to make them fully water soluble so that they can be uh, more readily excreted and less toxic. So um, really important, even when we're thinking about additional tools for supporting uh, glutathione as transferases. Other factors that we need to consider in terms of genetics that would potentially have a negative impact on the acetylation pathway. So we know we need that availability of coenzyme A. We can deplete it because of increased environmental toxins or medications that use it all up, but this is derived from panathenic acid. So if we have insufficient B5 due to impaired, low dietary consumption or PANK variants, that will lower the availability of coenzyme A. So we want to look not only at the N-acetyl S transferases, we also want to look upstream at the PANK SNPs. And then we want to make sure that uh, the acetyl-CoA can get where it's needed. So we do want to cross-reference with ACAT. And when we focus here, we really want to look at the ACAT2. So ACAT1 is expressed in the mitochondria. ACAT2 is expressed in the cytosol, and it is limited to the hepatocytes um, and then to the enterocytes in the small intestine. So what are those SNPs that we're looking at kind of in that pathway? So we need that ACAT enzyme to turn our proteins and our fats into acetyl-CoA transferase, both for energy production in the Krebs cycle and for the creation of those acetyl-CoA substrates for the N-acetyl uh, transferases. So again, we need all of the above. We need the acetyl-CoA, we need a functional N-acetyl transferase. So in terms of mycotoxins and which mycotoxins we really want to focus on in terms of acetylation. So our trichothecenes, uh, deoxynivalenol. Uh, now, we did talk about uh, this in terms of sulfation as well. So this is um, a mycotoxin that can take more than one pathway to be cleared from the body, rewarding E, barocarin A. Um, so again, the, the which pathways are important to support depends on what mycotoxins are in the body. And particularly if you're running something like a vibrant uh, mycotoxin test, you're going to be, that's where you'll see some of these mycotoxins showing up and get a better insight into potential need for acetylation support. Um, a lot of these are not found on the Great Plains mycotoxin test. So these are the specific mycotoxins that you uh, would be looking at for acetylation. Now, on some of the other charts, I did note for you the appropriate binders for those mycotoxins. This is an area where we have a blank spot in our vision. We can't point to any research or even solid enough anecdotal evidence that one particular binder would uh, be more or less beneficial for any of these mycotoxins. Now, how do we support healthy acetylation? 
In part, it depends on where there is a breakdown. So are we just burning through all of our acetyl groups because we have a cigarette smoker who is living off of barbecued meat? Potentially, there we would want to use things like acetylated supplements like S-acetylglutathione and acetyl-L-cysteine and acetylglucosamine. So giving that extra acetyl group. Um, acetyl-L-carnitine, any of those could be helpful here. If we are dealing with someone with a lot of PANK variants, then it's going to be more helpful to use things like panathenic acid or pantothene. And if you are dealing with someone who has a lot of acetyl-CoA uh, or ACAT2 variants, something like calcium pyruvate combined with N-acetyl-L-cysteine, uh, and some B2 would likely be your best bet. So here again, just the determination that acetylation needs to be supported does not necessarily build our protocol. As we dig into the individual genetics, um, then we will find better information to develop our protocol for the person in front of us. Let's take a peek at these genetics. This is a client of mine. See if I can make this a little bit bigger. I'll get it back up for you in just a moment, I promise. All right, so we have to look in a few places uh, to get all of the relevant information for acetylation. So the first most obvious would be that phase two acetylation box. So we're going to start out here looking at our PANCSNPs, our pantothenate kinases. This individual is really robust. There, not all of the PANCSNPs have been clinically validated, so it is worth taking a peek at those research and informational SNPs. So, again, variants along the pantothenate kinase SNPs will have a negative impact on the utilization of B5 and be a rate-limiting step for the production of acetyl-CoA. So we do want to make sure that functional variants there are best supported with pantothene. Looking at the N-acetyl-L transferases themselves, I mentioned this briefly uh, as we went through the slides. The NAT1 SNPs that are in here are not the clinically very, uh, validated SNPs. They are not necessarily the ones that are directly implicated with increased breast cancer risk. Um, so those are the NAT110 and the NAT111. And then our NAT2. So this little boy is likely a slow acetylator. So if we were seeing higher than average variants on NAT1, even though it's under the informational SNPs, we would want to think about potential upregulation or fast acetylators. NAT2 are generally low acetylators, and all of these are clinically validated. 
The NAT 2C481T is the one uh, that we mentioned in the slide. Um, so with that uh, increased risk. So we do want to pay attention to these later on in life. We know there's also increased risk for autoimmunity. This is a little boy who has really struggled with mood and behavioral issues, developmental challenges, but he had a, an extraordinarily high mycotoxin burden on his body. The, the acetylation SNPs are not the totality of it by any stretch, but this is definitely a big roadblock for him. We also want to take a look at the NAT8. Again, these are the ones that are going to be expressed in the kidneys, and while not clinically validated, um, we do see clinical associations with NAT8 and chronic kidney disease. So there is only one SNP here, period. So those are the most significant N-acetyl-L transferases to look at, but we do also need to cross-reference with acetyl-CoA. If you're using the functional genomic software, we're going to look under fats, carbs, proteins, vitamin A, and vitamin D. We're going to skip past a lot of this and focus on these ACAT SNPs. So here we're, we are going to have to go into the informational SNPs to see what's happening with ACAT2. Remember, these are the ones with the cytosol. With the ACAT2, this individual has a few polymorphisms, but he is relatively average there. His biggest challenge looking at this acetylation pathway would really be that NAT2. So again, pushing him more in the direction of a slow acetylator, um, certainly increased risk uh, for a number of health conditions if he would become a smoker later in life. Hopefully that will not be a factor for him. Um, but we would want to be on the lookout for things like that autoimmune tendency as well. So McKay asked if smokers are likely to have their acetylation buckets already filled. Absolutely. So there, it is a one-to-one. -one. The more you smoke, and this is both directly smoking yourself and exposure to secondhand smoke and exposure to air pollution, so uh, or to to PAHs in general, all of those things will fill that bucket. Um, so, and Naomi mentioned French fries, French fries, potato chips. You know, anytime you are, especially browning to the point of charring. So, this is a, a sad snip to see <laughs> if you like your food caramelized. Uh, <laughs> so. We definitely want to avoid the blackening. Nothing blackened, nothing charred if there's acetylation challenges. Um, I am not sure whether this is the only reason that Dapstone is contraindicated for porphyria. There may be other factors at play. Dapstone is rough in a lot of ways on the body. And uh, individuals with certain KEEP1 polymorphisms and NERF2 polymorphisms also tend to, to struggle with Dapstone. So there, 
I, I don't know that it's that straightforward, but it may be a factor. Um, so any other questions from anyone on acetylation? Ooh, looks like I'm covering all my bases here. All right. So, you said, you said on this particular pathway, you guys were not able to identify uh, specific binders for this? For, for those micro for those specific mycotoxins, not necessarily the pathway. So okay. when we look at which mycotoxins have an affinity towards which binder, we see things like gliotoxin ha seems to have the strongest affinity for bentonite clay and for Saccharomyces boulardii. Um, so for certain mycotoxins, we have a fairly good idea of what works most efficiently. Um, but there is almost no published information on this. So some of it is clinical trial and error for what works, what is helping your client feel better as you're trying to detox them, what is pulling that level down. In um, putting the initial charts together, we uh, relied very heavily on um, Neil Nathan's 40 years of clinical experience <laughs> to help us determine which binder works best for what. And because he uses primarily Great Plains mycotoxin testing, which doesn't look at acetylated mycotoxins, we, we have a lot of challenges um, in terms of kind of blank spots in our vision. You know, there are a lot of people who have no idea whether they are exposed to that particular, any of those particular classes of mycotoxins because a lot of labs are not looking at them. Um, so we don't necessarily, Terry, need B2 to shuttle in pantothene, but in terms of utilizing fats, the, the B2 works with the acetyl L-carnitine. I always like to try to use them in tandem with one another. So it would be more supportive for, for that part of the pathway than being required for the pantothene itself. Although when we think about the Krebs cycle and all of the nutrients that are needed to get those macronutrients to that acetyl-CoA, B1, B2, B5, um, we need a lot of the, those B vitamins for that. Um, so, Naomi had a, a great comment about you know, the potential carcinogenic risk of things like brown butter and how nobody believed um, her culinary instructor. Uh, they were ahead of their time, Naomi. Um, in terms of the markers on the organic acid test, we've got a lot of different places that we can cross-reference here because we can look at the Krebs cycle to see what's happening there. Um, we can look at lactate and pyruvate. We can look at, especially for fats, looking at the adipate, superate, ethyl malinate, uh, sebacic acid. If you are seeing especially elevated adipate and then your Krebs cycle metabolites are on the lower end of normal, there's an increased likelihood of impaired acetylation and impaired production of acetyl-CoA. Um, downstream from that, look at what's happening with hormones because we also need um, to make enough acetyl-CoA to make our 
steroid hormones, our reproductive hormones, our stress hormones. So if you see someone who has a Dutch and everything's on the lower end, and you see this pattern on their oat as well, you absolutely want to think about supporting the production of adequate acetyl-CoA. I'm sorry, um, you, Emily, can you give that the fats again? Can you say, give that pattern sure. on the fats again? Sure. So we want to look at um, the fatty acid metabolites. The adipate is really the big one that's going to tell you those fats are not getting turned into acetyl-CoA. And then we can turn to the genetics to see, is it because there's carnitine transport issues on uh, SLCs for carnitine? Um, we could cross-reference with the uh, B2 transporters. Um, again, Terry, that gets into the how we use the, the carnitine, um, or it could be the ACAT SNPs as well. All right. Um, so, Terry, I think you have a case study for us, but I want to ask you about your comment about having ACAT2, which net variants you have, and so your, your micronutrient test is showing that you have adequate pantothene. Do you want to open up your microphone? My micronutrient test says that I am deficient in pantothene. Oh. I'm taking pantothene, but I'm homozygous in ACAT. Okay. And I have not two. Okay. So your need may be higher because of those combined factors may be higher than what you're taking. But pantothene is also really... B5 in general is excreted really easily. So if your need is high, this is a nutrient that you're going to raise the levels more effectively by doing a smaller amount a lot of times throughout the day than doing a big dose once or, or twice so that you can maximize that absorption. Um, so much like vitamin C, we're going to pee it all out really fast if we try to take it. Well, C is going to go other places as well, but but we'll excrete a lot of it really quickly in urine if we try to do too much too quickly. So trickle that one in progressively. So, Terry, while you are, are open, do you want to tell us a little bit about uh, the client that you were, were doing some digging on? Sure. And 